All right, take your copy of God's Word now and back to John chapter 1. Let me ask you a question. I ask a lot of questions. It's because I don't know a lot of answers. Unless you ask my kids, then they'll say, no, he knows everything, he just doesn't know that. At least that's what I tell them to say. (laughs) What are you most afraid of? What are you most afraid of? Fear of things is an ever-present part of this fallen world, something that I will happily leave behind in the next world. Our text today is about light. John's use of the contrast, light and dark, is a favorite theme of his in his letters, in the gospel, and in all the letters he wrote. His use of light is mostly metaphorical rather than literal light, yet I wondered about light and and where the literal fear of the dark figures into uh, people's fears. And if there was a way to find out, well, there's the internet, so there's always a way to find out. So a 2015 study of 122 college students, 31 males and 91 female, from a private university in the Southeast, asked the students to rank their fear factor, remember that show, their fear factor of the following 10 things. You ready? Injections, like needle injections, public speaking, the dark, specific animals, heights, blood, Enclosed spaces, nature, crowds, and new people. So any guesses which one of these uh, was most often number one? What do you think? Public speaking. That was number two. 25 students rated public speaking their top fear. Number one was fear of specific animals. 27 kids rated that their top fear. Fear of heights for 18 of them. Fear of injections. For 14. You know what the lowest ranking one was? Blood. One student had a fear of blood. The fear of the dark, which is nyctophobia, right, was the top fear for 10 students, while 66 of the kids rated the fear of the dark in their top five. In another study, this time in 2012 in the UK, nearly 40% of the participants were afraid to walk around their house with the lights off. 10% said they wouldn't get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night. The fear of the dark is interesting, isn't it? As I researched more about this nyctophobia at the Cleveland Clinic website, I found that being afraid of the dark is, is most often begun when we're children and most people grow out of it. They grow out of their fears. So I think it's probably true that none of us ever truly leaves fear behind. Why are people afraid in general? That's what I was wondering. Well, I think it's because we believe something out there will harm us or even kill us, right? I mean, this this is probably why every single time, I hate this, every time I turn on the radio, I get some guy who wants to tell me how many COVID cases there are, how many hospitalizations there are, and how many deaths there are. It's, It's as if we must have the information so that we're not, what, in the dark, as if having the information will keep us from being the next victim. But why are people specifically afraid of the dark? We can't see what's out there. And knowing something out there may harm us. That's why we have flashlights, candles, floodlights, interior car lights, porch lights, night lights, garage lights, and street lights. I mean, seriously, we have lights in places that we can't even see. I mean, when, when we're sleeping, which of us is watching the porch light to see what it illuminates? Well, we say, well, maybe my neighbor will say, well, your neighbor's sleeping too. 
So these two things are always connected together, light and life. We refuse to have life and be without light. And if we have light, it's mainly to protect life. But this all illustrates a very important point that John is addressing in our text. This commitment to literal light isn't only so that we'll be protected. That's true. But it's fruit of something more, something deeper. The dark scares us for more reasons than simply our safety. The dark represents lostness, hopelessness, emptiness. We may fear those things more than we fear the side of our garage at 1 a.m., How is the dark overcome? Well, we use lights. But even then, there is darkness in broad daylight, right? It can still be hopeless, empty, joyless. The night might give way to the day, and it does, and we'll come back to that. But there is some darkness that feels too strong, even immovable. How do we deal with that? Well, each of us has our way, I suppose, but John will show us that there is one true way to overcome the dark. Our text this morning is about light, but not necessarily in the way that we've been thinking. I mentioned John's use of the word light and dark. Of the 32 times that John uses the word light in his letters, he means spiritual illumination. But this is an illumination like a student would have when they grasp a concept. Here's an example of what John means in his use of this word where Jesus said this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. We tie light and life together so that we won't be scared. Jesus ties light and life together so that we will be saved. So in two different ways, John tells us about this connection between the word as the light who gives life and the darkness. Our text answers this question, how does the light of Christ preserve hope and joy and faith? How does the light of Christ preserve hope and joy and faith? John tells us two things about the light. Number one, the light dominates the dark. And number two, the light delivers those in the dark. How does the light of Christ preserve hope and joy and faith? By dominating the dark and by delivering those who are in the dark. Let's read John 1 verses 1 through 18, and we'll focus in on verses 4 through 9. John writes this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we've seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about Him and cried out, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because He was before me. 
For from his fullness we've all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Father, we turn to this now and pray that you would help us. Help us to be so filled with the light of Christ that we fear nothing but rather live boldly in all the ways for you. In Christ's name I pray, amen. So first point is this, the light of Christ preserves our hope and joy because it dominates the dark. For this point, we're going to look at verses 4 and 5 and verse 9. Look at verse 4. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. We know who John was talking about, right? In Him, that is the Word, in whom all things were made. That's verse 3. In the first three verses, John introduced us to the Word who pre-existed all things, who is God Himself, who made all things. This is a picture of what we call the Lord's transcendence. That is, He transcends this world. He's not of this world. This world is utterly dependent upon Him for its being, for its upholding. But with our text, John does something different. He gives us the other side of the Lord's relationship to His creation, His imminence. His imminence means His presence here, His close association with the course of life here. He is no distant or separate Savior. Though He is the Almighty Creator of the heavens and the earth, He is a brother, a friend, a Savior of those who believe. John tells us two things about the Word in this verse, verse 4. Number one, in Him was life. He uses that familiar verb that we've seen so often already, was. It indicates just as He was the eternal Word, He was with God, He was God, in Him was life. The in Him was life means that He is life. He is the source of life. And the life that He gives is like Him. In Him was life. It's part of His essence and nature. Whatever else it means, it's consistent with who He is. It's eternal. It's energetic. It's unquenchable. Well, this idea has two implications to it. In Him was life. In Genesis 1, we see the Word was creating all things out of nothing. Because He is life, what He created had life. Life in this way isn't eternal. It was made. This is why evolution cannot be true, because life cannot come out of lifelessness. Life can only be given, and given by the one who is life. But the second way is the way that John uses it. Life most often means eternal life, salvation life, resurrection life. It's what Adam forfeited and Christ earned. John three thirty six. whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. In him was life. The other thing John tells us about the word in verse 4 is that life was the light of men. Now, once again, we can see that since he is life, all that he created that needed life will have it. And all that has life received it from Him. For His life to be the light of men in one sense means we have 
physical life because He gave it to us. Psalm 139, verse 13, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. The psalmist doesn't simply mean that God put all the parts in the womb and something else brought it to life. There's life in the womb because God put it there. By the way, this is why conception is when human life begins, not viability. Life begins when God gives it, not when we say it begins. Science sometimes finds the Scripture a stubborn corrective. But closer to John's intention is this, the life of the Lord is the light of men, meaning all who believe in Jesus Christ will have His life. When you and I put our faith in Jesus Christ, we don't have something separate from Him. We have Him, which means we have His life, life that is eternal, life that John calls light. In John's writings, light and life are synonyms for eternal life. John 8, 12 is typical I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The Lord has the life, and He is the light. The light comes to us through the Word of God in the hands of the Spirit. The Word of God, the Son, as John has told us, and in our time, the written Word of God is our light. You all know Psalm 119, 105. You might not know the address, but you, might, you know, the, you know the, verb, or the, the verse. Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, 105. The Word is the means by which we live. The, way, the Word is the means by which we are justified, declared not guilty, and made holy before the Lord. But let's remember what we're talking about here. This is light and life in the context of the power and the pervasiveness of darkness. Darkness Dark systems, influences of the dragon and the devil, they're all around us and sometimes they feel immovable, unstoppable. But there's good news in verses 5 and verse 9. Look at verse 5. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overtaken it. Verse 9, the true light which enlightens all men was coming into the world. The light shines in the darkness. The light was coming into the world. Darkness and world is the realm of our enemy. It's the world where he blinds the eyes of men, where he encourages unbelief. It's the place where everyone is doing what's right in his own eyes. It's the place where each man or woman lives as if he or she is a king or a queen of their own life. It's the realm of injustice, murder, anger, depression, homelessness, hopelessness, panic. Abortion, drug addiction, human trafficking, poverty, disease, slavery, war, pain. In John's writing, world is the realm of our enemy. It's not the same as what God has created. It is what has fallen. In short, it is everything sinful all around us all the time. Into this realm comes the light, the Word of God, Jesus Christ. Into our Egypt comes one greater than Moses. But John says the light shines in the darkness, the true light which enlightens all men. In these two verses, John tells us about the nature of that light. We know that the light is the life of Jesus Christ, but what does it do? It does two things. It shines and it's also true. Anyone who's ever been in the dark knows it only takes a match light to push back the darkness. Isn't that interesting? No matter how dark or how thick it feels, that match light stays lit. The darkness cannot snuff it out. It shines. 
Once I was on a training patrol in the jungles of Panama. We were way outside Panama City. There was no, none of that ambient light. It was, it was nighttime. We were patrolling at night. It was a training patrol. Once we got into the jungle, under the canopy of, uh, of the trees and in the midst of the vegetation, you literally could not see a thing. I'd never been in an experience like that before. Utter pitch black darkness. So we were directed for our own safety to get in a single file line and grab onto the guy in front of you and walk behind him. At the same time, we took our M16s and we held them straight up like this because in the flash suppressor where the bullet comes out, there was a tiny little tritium cat eye, tiny radioactive sticker that was always illuminated. As dark as it was around us, I remember being amazed that I could see that little light. I couldn't see the guy in front of me, but I could see the little light in his rifle. The light of the Lord is always on. It's shining. It's active. It is causing things to be seen, and it cannot be put out. John also says it's true. This light shining in the darkness is the true light. That is, by its light, we see things as they should be seen, as they are, realistically, faithfully, truly. This means three things. Number one, it's a thorough light. Unlike the limited reaches of our own lights, e- even the very nature of light itself that can't bend around a corner and always makes shadows, in the light of the Lord, we can know and understand thoroughly. Not perfectly, but thoroughly, truly. Science isn't true like this. Economics, politics, art, even justice isn't true like this. Psalm 36 verse 9 says, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. It is a thorough light. Number two, it's a sure light. What it reveals, it reveals truly, dependably. What God's word, the light to our path, the lamp to our feet, what it teaches us about life is dependable. As I said last week, nothing in all of creation will be discovered that will contradict the light of God's word as he's revealed it to us. It's thorough, it's sure, and it's dependable. That's the third thing. And this is related to it being sure. If the word makes promises, they are true. If the word promises judgment, they are true. Since the word of God, the Bible is God's word, it is like God. It's the same yesterday, today, and forever. John's words are truly good news. This is the light that shines in the darkness. He continues in verse 4. He tells us the extent to which this light goes and just how good this news is. The light shines in the darkness, and here it is. The darkness has not overtaken it. The word overtaken means to catch or to seize or to defeat. It's the word used to describe how the adulterous woman in John chapter 8 was caught in her sin. She was confronted. She was stopped. She was seized. She was forced to stand in the midst of the council. Of course, an illustration is the, the morning light that pushes back the night. The night has no power to remain. The day overtakes the night. Night only comes again because the light retreats. If this is true in the natural world, how much more true it is in the spiritual world. When the light of Christ appears, eternal life, it will never disappear. It will never be snuffed out. John tells us the dark has no power to do this to the light. Listen, light and dark are opposites, but they're not equal opposites. When there is no light, dark dominates. But when the light comes, darkness retreats every time, and it has no choice but to do so. 
Paul depends upon this when he says this in Romans 13, verse 12. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Jesus says this in John 12, verse 46. I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. May not remain in darkness. Jesus isn't using a hypothetical here. He isn't using tentative words like, he who believes in me might, maybe, won't remain in darkness. No. Remember what else Jesus said in John 16, 33. You probably know the end of it. Take heart. I have what? Overcome the world. How does the light of Christ preserve hope and joy and faith? It dominates the dark. I love this about the light. So two points of application. First, the light dominates the dark in each of us. Now, I'm not just talking about how the Lord saves us from our sins. That's, our, that's my next point. Rather, how the light of Christ is a trusted and effective weapon against the darkness that so often surrounds us, seems to rest on us, even penetrates us. In this day and age, we want to make everything physical, medical, or natural of nature. We diagnose everything, giving it a three-letter acronym or some other psychological term. And then we practically live as if the daily darkness in our lives is a battle that we can win by virtue of our own strength or our medications. This very naturalistic, scientific, medical view of ourselves is inadequate. It's insufficient. It doesn't tell the whole story. We aren't simply physical machines, remember? We have life, physical life and otherwise, because we were given it by the word of life, the Lord. Listen, our dark enemy wants us to ignore the resources of the light for our daily lives. He would, rem- he would rather that you remember your medication than you remember to pray. He would rather that we immerse ourselves in shallow community, like social media, rather than real community, the church. He would rather that we expend ourselves in searching for our own solutions rather than searching the Word of God for solutions. You must hear me, beloved. The, wor- the world and its technology and systems and so-called solutions They're all inadequate to dispel the dark within us. They don't dominate the dark. They just call it light and hope we don't notice. If you want to dominate the darkness in your lives, your anxiety, your depression, your uncertainty, relational problems, the sorrow of sickness or disease or death, then you must seek the resources of the light with the expectation that He will equip you. He will change the batteries in your lights and your lamps and you will find your way even if the fallenness around you persists. There's only one light that dominates the dark and it is not found in this world. It's from the next, but it is available to all who put their faith in Jesus Christ. But don't be deceived, beloved. His light will dominate the darkness in your lives. His light will Dominate the darkness in your lives if you give yourself to it, including His timing and His wisdom. Like the brightest light of the day is not at dawn, but it takes time for the sun to climb to its height. The Lord, at His pace and at His time, will dominate and overcome whatever darkness there is in your experience. It's a walk of trust, but it's a walk of victory. It's the only walk of victory. 
The second point is this. What about the darkness out there beyond the walls of the church or the halls of your own heart? What does the light do there? You ever seen pictures of the earth taken from space? You ever seen those? Those are fascinating to me. You now you see the Great Wall of China from space with the naked eye. It's amazing. I noticed a couple things about those photos. The first thing I noticed is that some are, some are taken in the day and some are taken in the night. I mean, this is obvious, right? And it's always true. As the International Space Station screams through the sky at 17,000 miles an hour, it will always be taking daylight pictures and nighttime pictures. Some part of the earth will always be light and some part will always be dark. Isn't it interesting? This is consistent with what God promised in Genesis 8, 22. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. The persistence of literal darkness of night represents the persistence of spiritual darkness in this world. It will always be with us. But secondly, the second thing I noticed from the night photos is the difference between heavily populated areas at night and sparsely populated ones at night, right? You've seen those pictures. You've got, you got the view of the northeast part of, uh, of the United States, and then you've got the view of Wyoming, you know? And you can see lights in Wyoming, but they're, they're, you can't miss those other lights. They're impossible. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world. Remember, we're talking about, does the light impact the darkness out there? Jesus says, you are the light of the world. The you is plural. Well, that means a couple things. Each of us, just like each person seated before the Lord when he preached this sermon, each of us has a responsibility to walk as a child of light. Like Paul said in Romans 13, 12, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. The darkness in the world is pushed back as each of us lives as a child of light. Until the Lord returns, there will always be darkness. We will never fully snuff it out as that is neither in our power, nor is that in the Lord's intention based on Genesis 8.22. So if you and I live according to the fruit of the Spirit and the Ten Commandments and the two great commandments, we will shine the light in the dark. Some of those in the dark will be drawn to that light. Others will scatter like cockroaches. This is the power of each of our individual lights. So we have that responsibility. But this also means Jesus is talking about the church. The higher concentration of lights means more light, right? That's, that's what the Northeast looks like from space at night. The higher concentration of lights meant more light. The strength and the connectivity that we have as a church, a spiritual family, it's like the dimmer switch on that light. The more you add your light to this light, the brighter we are. This means we each have more access to the light of life. And as Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, the world will see more of the light than it otherwise would. Beloved, this isn't abstract. The Word, the Spirit, and the church, we find the light of life. We remember the Lord. We recognize our roles in the kingdom. We rejuvenate each other in our darkness. We realize there is a coming kingdom where there will be no more darkness. These things, these principles of light are found here in the church in the corporate body of the Lord. That's what 100% participation is about, beloved. Not just so that we can accomplish the will of the Lord through land or staff or whatever. It's so that our light will be irresistible, like the lights in the Northeast from space 
at the nighttime. All of this is true because the light of Christ dominates the darkness of this world, but it does more. Our second point is this. The light of Christ preserves our hope and joy because it delivers those in the dark. Look at verse 6. A man appeared, having been sent from God, whose name was John. A man appeared. It's written in the same way as verse 3, all things were made. There was a purpose in the word creating all things, and there's a purpose in the appearance of John having been sent from God. Just as the Word made all things, the Word caused this man to appear on the scene for a purpose. These verses about the Baptist seem to interrupt the flow of John's thought. In fact, in verse 9, it's like he, he resumes his thought about the light. But this is where we remember that John's point through his gospel is to witness, to present Jesus Christ so that those who hear will put their faith in Him. The light of Christ, which is the life of men, will always have a witness. It's witnessed in the Scriptures, and it's witnessed in the church here in the Baptist. But it's interesting, the way that John talks about John the Baptist, the way that the Apostle talks about the Baptist, is very careful. He doesn't want to detract our focus away from the light. In verses 7 and 8, they're written in such a way that the central focus of John's ministry was, was to witness that others might believe. That was his purpose. Listen, as I read verses 7 and 8, they start and they end the same thematically. Let me read them together. Verse 7, this one came as witness in order to witness about the light. Verse 8, that one was not the light, but bore witness to the light. Did you see how John starts and ends the same way? The Baptist in these verses is unnamed. The pronouns aren't personal. This one, that one, John's talking about the Baptist. He came as a witness Three times he's mentioned in this way. And he says also that he was not the light. John said this himself in verse 19. Who are you? The priests and the Levites asked him. He confessed and did not deny. I am not the Christ. Who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. The center point of these verses is the end of verse 7. Look at it that all might believe through him. This was the reason for the Baptist's existence, that he might point to the one who delivers those in the dark. John 10, verse 40, Jesus went away again across the Jordan to the place where John had been baptizing at first, and there he remained. And many came to him and they said, John did no sign, but everything that John said about this man was true, and many believed in him there. This is just as Isaiah predicted. Isaiah 42, verse 6, We eavesdrop on the conversation between the Father and the Son here, between God and His Word. Here's what we read, Isaiah 42, verse 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you, he's talking about His Son. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in the darkness. How does The light of Christ preserve joy and hope and faith because it delivers us out of our lost estate. Ever wondered why Luke's account of the nativity reads this way? Same region, there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flocks by night and an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. 
For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. The shepherds were not afraid of the message. The message was good news. What were they afraid of? The great light, the glory of the Lord that shone around the angel, glory that delivers from the dark all who embrace it. Isaiah again, Isaiah 9, verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwell in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. This is the true light that shines in the earth. The Lord, the Word of God, the Word of life. He isn't some indiscriminate light that shines like the sun. No, He shines the light of salvation on people who are in darkness. And we are delivered from the domain of darkness. Two things here. First, there is a light that delivers from darkness. Not a literal nighttime darkness, but a darkness of soul. No one can have the light of life as a result of anything in this world, right? That kind of saving light is not to be found here. It's not in positions. It's not in power. It's not in money. It's not in relationships. It's not in sex. It's not in drink or in food. You can have all of those things. You can know their temporary satisfaction, but you also know their staying power is quickly fleeting. It's like you're drinking deeply from salt water. Your thirst is never slaked. Each of us, each of you should ask the Holy Spirit who is here with us this question. Have you given to me the light of life? Do I truly possess a deep joy that can't be squashed? A real sense of belonging to God as a son or a daughter. A hope that is strangely disconnected from my circumstances. Ask the Holy Spirit of God to make you a true son or a daughter of God, to deliver you from the darkness by the blood of the Lamb. It was the Baptist who said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. But secondly, as Christians, we've been delivered by the light, right? He who is the resurrection and the life has given himself. He's allowed his own light to be put out, so to speak, shedding his blood and Submitting his body so that we can walk in the light. You know, you know he is the reason why hope and joy and faith and peace can be present even in the midst of our darkness of soul, right? Darkness of soul happens to all who believe. It certainly happened to me. If you're struggling with a sin pattern, if you find yourself down more often than not, if you just can't seem to grasp joy, if your resilience is weak, your capacity fleeting, problems or illnesses or weaknesses that just won't lift and it just bears down on you, then, beloved, remember that you have life. Remember that you have light. Remember the wholeness and flourishing that God promises is already deposited in your soul anchored there by the Holy Spirit. Remember that you are a son or a daughter of God and the good news of of salvation and of heaven is yours. Remember that one day all the darkness will give way to the light and it will not return. There might be more that you can do to dispel the darkness in your life, but you can do no less than remember the light of life that has been given to you that you received 
by grace, through faith. The Lord offers grace and mercy and strength. He has met us, even this morning, in praying, in fellowship, in preaching. He gives us ample opportunity to be reminded. It's dark out there, but it is light in Him and in here. And so let's eat these tangible symbols of life and light and be reminded that though we might persist in some darkness now, in the presence of the light of life, all darkness will run away.